Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. President Biden to the UAW, can you please get a deal done before contracts expire next month? Meanwhile, a big union win for 40,000 child care workers in the state of California. And today on the show, the latest from the American Federation of Government Employees and the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees in the state of Connecticut. Welcome to the Wednesday, August 16th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Colin Barrett. Colin is a national representative with the American Federation of Government Employees, their national VA council. He is the second vice president of Local 1969, has been with the VA for about 14 years. And we're going to talk about a giant win for VA employees after six years of negotiations. Can you believe that? Six years. AFGE's National VA Council and the Department of Veterans Affairs finally signed a collective bargaining agreement that defends critical protections for VA workers while modernizing the hiring process. And I'll tell you, they needed to do that long time ago. The signing ceremony took place last week at the VA Medical Center in Salem, Virginia. President Alma Lee, Alma is the president of the National VA Council, and she said, we always knew the work of a union representative would never be finished, but oh my, (laughs) these last six years have shown us all what it means to never give up and keep fighting. Everett Kelly, president of the National Union, said, The message is clear that when the union and management work together, we can't accomplish much. Much has been accomplished here when you take a look at this contract. So here's the deal. The talk started back in 2017. Both sides did not reach an agreement until this past spring. Through years of tough negotiations and relentless anti-worker attacks. The council, which represents about 300,000 VA employees, remains steadfast in fighting to preserve and expand protections for VA workers. They ratify the contract in June. The uh, new agreement, from what I understand, and Colin's going to give us some more details on this, it not only preserves 99% of the 2011 master agreement, but also modernizes Article 23, specifically focusing on Title V merit promotions. Good stuff there. What a fight. A six-year battle, finally, coming to a close. Brian Anderson will be joining us later in the show. He is a legislative director for Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, and that would be in the state of Connecticut. Their website is council4.org. A little background on Brian. He was a lobbyist at the Connecticut State House for business and nonprofits. He did that for about 14 years. He also did association management work 
for the state HMO Association, and he got pretty disgusted with the for-profit corporate takeover of the Connecticut HMO industry, which had been nonprofit. So he saw HMOs, health maintenance organizations, that's what they are, they uh, got changed from nonprofit healthcare deliverers into for-profit healthcare deniers. It's a good point. So with that frustration, he said, "You know what? I got to get involved in organized labor." And he worked for Council Four for the last twenty-one years. And that council represents about twenty-eight thousand state and city employees. About a fifth of the members are law enforcement officers. Two thousand police officers and 5,000 correction officers. And what we're going to talk about is uh, saving pensions. And I'll tell you, this is a huge issue. It's not just for AFSCME, but for all Americans. I mean, there was a time in America when you would work for 30, 40 years, you can rely on your pension. Those were defined benefit pensions, and hardly anybody has those. They're pretty prominent in the public sector. In the private sector, it's down to like 4%. Yeah, that's about it. And it well, it was probably well over 50%, 60% when you go back to the 50s and 60s. But enter the uh, 401ks back in the 80s, and uh, there was a, uh, a plan afoot saying, oh, well, this will supplement your defined benefit contributions. Well, not, not, the, not the situation anymore. Many of them have... Uh, gone away and a lot of the companies that provided them went bankrupt over the years the governor the controller lawmakers and labor leaders all got together and they are saving connecticut municipalities 740 million dollars in retirement costs over the next three decades apparently they took a look at the system they said you know what we got to do something we got to save it so they all got together and there was a couple hardships that uh, brian's going to talk about on the show but uh, they reduced the debt, and they basically looked to the future and said, we got to preserve pensions for future employees. And essentially, that's what they did in the state of Connecticut. So uh, Brian is going to talk about that and the partnership that they were able to put together to make that happen. You know, <laughs> it's so simple. When you work together, I don't care what party you're from, but when you work together, you make meaningful compromises. And everybody wins. There's going to be some people that don't like it, but the majority will stand tall as a result of what happened. All right, now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. President Biden issued a statement yesterday urging the United Auto Workers and the nation's big three car makers to reach a deal before the union's contracts expire on September 14th. Now, Biden credited the UAW with helping to create the American middle class. And he's right about that. And he stressed the importance of a fair transition from gasoline powered to electric vehicles. Now, the UAW is seeking to end a system of tiered wages for different workers and has proposed a set of other wage and benefit increases. The automakers claim that their finances are constrained by recent investments in battery plants and other electric technology. And turns out, yesterday it was announced that the members of the UAW will vote next week, next week on authorizing their leaders to call strikes against 
the Detroit automakers. And typically what they do, they single out one automaker, cut a deal, and they use that as a pattern for the other two. So we'll see what happens here. In the meantime, over 650 workers at LM Manufacturing, this is in Detroit, Michigan, they have voted by a super majority to join the UAW as part of Local 600, which is one of the largest and most historic locals in UAW history. Cassandra Wiley is one of the workers. Cassandra said, it makes me feel pretty good. It makes me feel like our voices were heard. It makes us feel like we accomplished something. It's a really good feeling to know that change is coming. Now, the workers at LM Manufacturing produce seats for the Ford Bronco and Ranger. Organizing efforts at the facility began about two months ago. Laura Dickerson is the Region 1A director, which covers that area. Laura said these workers overwhelmingly wanted a union at their work site. They're excited. We're excited. And the locals excited because 660 new UAW members is tremendous. We'll be sitting down and negotiating their first contract coming up. Got a comment here from one of the workers at the plant that would be Doctanian Peoples. Listen to what Doctanian had to say. If you're ever in a position to unionize a job, never be scared. Never. Never shy away. Look danger in the face. Nothing comes easy. And don't shy away from the UAW if they come to unionize your job. You better run up to them. Hats off to uh, Doctanian Peoples and uh, UAW Local 600 in Detroit, Michigan. We're getting some uh, more details about the proposal that Hollywood Studios have made to the Writers Guild of America. The proposal includes more transparency regarding streaming viewership, more details limiting the use of artificial intelligence, that's good, and more latitude for showrunners to control staffing levels. Both sides have resumed negotiations as the writer's strike enters its fourth month. And we got some really good news out of the state of California where more than 40,000 California child care providers who watch the children of primarily low-income workers have secured a 20% average pay increase under a union-ratified agreement with the state. Many are calling it a watershed moment for an industry which is pretty much dominated by immigrant women of color. In addition to the $600 million to fund the rate increase over two years, the new contract provides $80 million to create the nation's first retirement fund for child care providers and... $100 million for health care funding. Less than a quarter of family child care providers reported any retirement savings. In a key contract win for Child Care Providers United Union members, the state has agreed to a timeline to overhaul the way rates are calculated for providers who receive subsidies to care for the children of low-income families. Now, currently... Voucher rates are used, and those rates are based on a market survey going to 2016. Well, guess what? (laughs) There's a thing called inflation, so that's being adjusted. A new rate structure paying providers the true cost of care could take effect as early as 2025. That's according to Max Arias, the union's chief negotiator. That, to me, 
he says, is the biggest win. Of course, we have to continue to work with the state and push elected officials to stay with it. But it's a clear commitment in our contract that is enforceable. The contract's 20% average rate increase, which would vary slightly by region and would expire after two years. That's how long the contract goes, is intended to provide enough cash to keep providers afloat until then. And how about this? The uh, the deal was ratified by members by a margin of 99.6%. 99.6%. That's pretty overwhelming. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the VA Council of the American Federation of Government Employees. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. If you missed our segment with Melissa Cropper that happened yesterday, you can find that at awfpodcast.com. Before we go to our first guest, I just want to tell you a little bit more about that incredible deal, the child care providers, and it's because of a union, the deal that they got. And we're talking 40,000 California child care providers who watch children from low-income workers. I mean, they were making poverty wages, and they worked with the state of California. We talked about this on the show two days ago, and I call it political organizing. There's organizing and there's political organizing. So especially in the public sector, if you can get your lawmakers to agree that, hey, you're working for the state or the city, 
and you're making poverty wages, you better find some money to pay those workers. And uh, they did that. They did that. They found like 200, I'm sorry, $600 million to fund the rate increase over two years. I got a comment here from Justine Flores. Justine is a Los Angeles child care provider. She's been doing that for six years. She's a member of the union's negotiating team. And she said, well, that's why I joined my union, to make my voice heard, to have a seat at the table. And that's where decisions are made. And then there's Angela Mara's a child care provider for 20 years, she said, well, I cast my vote, and for the first time, I got to have a say in my future as a provider. Before I joined the union, I had no way to talk to the state of California about my pay or working conditions. Joining the union, I finally felt my voice was heard. That's the Child Care Providers United Union Members and I believe they're affiliated with the service employees. So congratulations to uh, that tremendous fight for workers in the state of California. Let's go to uh, Minnesota right now, just outside Minneapolis-St. Paul. Joining us right now is Colin Barrett. And Colin is a representative of the National VA Council, and he's a member of Local 1969 in that area. Website is AFGEN. VAC.org, and he's here to talk about a new contract. Again, this was a fight. It took six years, but they finally got it done. Colin Barrett, welcome to uh, yeah. America's Workforce. How are we doing in um, Minnesota today, brother? Hey, we're good. We're fired up, ready to go. Uh, you you should be. You should be. How, how about you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Uh, 14 years a member of the union, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I started in the VA back in '09, out of college, and uh, yeah, been a member of the union the whole time. Proud member. Any any reason that you went uh, in that direction with your life? Why well, I went to the VA? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I well, you know, I graduated in '09. Uh, job market wasn't, or yeah, around that time, um, job market wasn't ideal, and you know, federal employment. Um, seemed like a good place to go. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been happy with it. You know, I, I, we got a good mission and, um, you know, the VA is, it's, it, it you know, yeah, the mission of the VA makes it a, a pretty good place to work sometimes. Right. Um, yeah. Well, but, talk to me yeah. about this, this contract here. Now, were you part of the group that worked it out? And, and I'm, we're going back to 2017. That was a long time ago. So explain yeah, what happened Yeah, we go all the way back to 2017. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. So the, um, our previous contract uh, was a three-year duration, but then after that it could be open at any time. So when they, we had a new administration, uh, when the Trump team came in, they opened the contract uh, back in 2017. Uh, so we negotiated that they opened the entire contract, right? So this is over 300 plus pages, uh, over 60 articles. Um, we negotiated that up until, and I gotta, I gotta think back now, make sure I get my dates right. Uh, I believe from 2018 to December of 2019, we were meeting two weeks on one week off. Um, so it was intense. Um, obviously that, you know, even though we were, at the table so much, there's really not enough time to, to negotiate that, you know, that much material. Uh, so in 2019, we kind of, the, the VA unilaterally halted the bargaining. Um, they asked the FSIP to impose a contract, right? So then fast forward to November of 2020, 
Uh, the FSIP issued a decision, and they imposed a lot of the uh, the VA's proposed language. Right, a lot of it was pretty anti-worker, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinions. Um, so then, uh, December of 2020, uh, the obviously you know we had to go off for ratification. Um, members voted this down. Right. So we wanted a ratification because we had some agreement, but then we had some imposed some of the stuff, uh, some language was imposed. So because we had agreement on some articles, we were able to uh, allow a ratification vote to shoot that down. So uh, we went back to the table um, and we were actually in mediation in January of 2021 when when Biden came into office. So then uh you know, we were at the table uh, when they when, when he was sworn into office, uh, and then in yeah July, a global settlement was reached between AFGE and the VA. Uh, it erased the the past all the bargaining history, and reset negotiations with a limited reopener of just twelve contracts. So, and also you know there's a lot going on in the background at this time too. You know we got restored official time, rescinded um, a lot of anti-worker, anti-union executive orders. Uh, so things kind of reset uh, at that time. Uh, and then March of 2022, we, we went back to the, the table with the new team. Um, you know, it was a new team, but oh, <laughs> oddly enough, a lot of the proposals were not that dissimilar uh, from what mm-hmm. the, the uh, previous team was proposing. So we were kind of hash, hashing that out, but it was you know much smaller in scope because it's a limited reopener, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So then um, May. So yeah, we, so that started in March. So then May of that year, uh, we filed our first grievance uh, for bad faith bargaining, and then uh, July we filed a second grievance, um, and then in October. Uh, we had an arbitrator that uh, presided over the hearing to resolve those bargaining disputes. Uh, and then March, the arbitrator issued a, a ruling that the VA violated uh, the, the settlement agreement and the ground rules and engaged in bad faith negotiations, which really basically changed the tenor at that time. Um, so, you know, they, they, uh, I believe, let's see, that would have been March. So that's when we had our LMR in BC around that time. And, um, you know, we, we were at the table, let me think, we were at the table in D.C. It was around St. Patty's Day. Um, went back home for the weekend, came back out that night for LMR, that Monday. We go in and meet with the secretary, um, you know, start hashing out. You know, he wants to, all of a sudden he wants to make a deal. Uh, so we're kind of throwing around, you know, um, ideas and, and proposals in that meeting and, by that, actually, by the next morning, uh, we had a tentative agreement, which basically rolled over the majority of our 2011 contract. Uh, but we had some updates to Article 23 dealing with uh, Title V merit promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, then we we you know had to go through uh, ratification agency interview, and we just signed it last week. That's that brings incredible. us to today. Yeah, yeah, you can read about this on the uh, national website, afge.org. So this was a long and bitter and relentless fight. And the crazy thing about this, you had to go back to preserve what was negotiated 
over a decade ago. You mentioned the uh, 2011 mm-hmm. Master Agreement, and of course, it brought it up to date. There's some some perks in there, as you as you reference. But what a crazy battle! Can you speak to the anti-worker things that came up? And I know during the previous administration, sure. there were attacks on not just your union, but all federal workers. I mean, it was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And you also talked about the team that remained in place when Biden took office. And we, we brought this up a couple of times with various guests from your union. And it seems like uh, they were holdovers. And when, you know, mm-hmm. you got the right people in there, good things happen. Can you speak to that part here of uh, well, of, uh, of what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it was not the exact same team. It was, it was I mean, it was new people, but a lot of the proposals yeah. were, were very similar. So they were still pretty anti-union, anti-worker proposals. Um, I mean, they're not political appointees, right? They're civil servants, um, just just to get the record straight. Um, but based on some things that were set on the table, they, uh, yeah, they're politically aligned, I guess, with with the Trump team, like like you kind of indicated there. It was pretty evident, at least from some of the higher ranking members in the team. So, Colin, you finally got your deal together here. It was a long battle, and, and you mentioned the uh, the uh, merit promotion there. Can you get into that part and the hiring process? I guess the hiring process, it's been kind of cumbersome, and uh, it, has that been addressed in this new contract? Yeah, that was a priority, uh, largely because, you know, the VA is doing such massive hiring. I don't know if you're uh, aware of, well, obviously, you know, the PACT Act that was signed yeah. recently. Yeah, so a huge expansion. Um, you know, I know we supported that. I support it personally. Plus, you know, the the AFG is supporting um, anything we can do to help out veterans. And um, but you know, this this new legislation is kind of opening the floodgates for benefits, and uh, we got to take on. So what I do at the the St. Paul Regional Office is I uh, adjudicate these claims and make decisions on. Uh, what kind of benefits veterans are entitled to. Um, so with all these new, um, uh, you know, all this new legislation with all these new ways to get service connection for all these conditions for, you know, uh, go- not just Gulf War veterans, but Vietnam veterans and, and all other types of veterans, um, there's a massive influx of hiring. And so the VA, um, some of the, like the posting periods is one example of something that we updated um, previously, uh, you know, I had to be open for I believe it was a month, uh, and we updated that to seven calendar days, uh, so that these postings aren't open so long. Uh, you know, we updated things like uh, areas of consideration uh, for promotions. But uh, the skinny of it is, uh, we work with the VA, I guess, uh, to hopefully help fill a lot of these vacancies um, at VA hospitals and regional offices and cemeteries. Um, and allow them to hire and, and hopefully get us up to speed and get us where we need to be to, to start uh, adjudicating and, and uh, addressing all these new claims for, for service county conditions. Colin, regarding the PACT Act that you brought up, uh, I got some numbers on that. Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat out of Illinois, said the PACT Act has already, already enabled more than 4 million vets to be screened for toxic exposure more than 744,000 packed at claims have been filed 
and hundreds of thousands of vets have been approved for expanded benefits. So the timing of this contract could not have been better. Colin Barrett joining us on our live line today. He's with the uh, National VA Council on behalf of one of our national sponsors, the American Federation of Government Employees. We'll continue with him. And later in the show, we're going to go to AFSME in Connecticut and talk about the new pension that they negotiated for public employees. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment on the show brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. In fact, you'll be hearing from Pat Gallagher tomorrow from the North Coast Labor Federation. Pat has since retired from the United Steelworkers, but he's still involved in the Federation. And one of the things he's going to talk about is the big win in the state of Ohio, defeating Issue 1, an attack on democracy. Right now, let's go back to uh, Minnesota, just outside Minneapolis-St. Paul. Joining us is Colin Barrett. He's with the American Federation of Government Employees National VA Council, represents uh, Local 1969. We're talking about a new contract for the Veterans Administration. Took about uh, six years. You're dealing with the previous administration. And, and Colin, you're probably happy that uh, you were dealing with uh, the previous administration and not Ron DeSantis because he said a couple of weeks ago, I believe when he was campaigning in New Hampshire, that uh, if he was in the White House, he would uh, he would attack, well, anybody that works for the government, especially the union members, brothers and sisters, he said he would uh, slit the throats of federal employees. He would start slitting their throats on day one. 
And this has prompted a comment from your uh, president, Everett Kelly, who said federal employees, over a third of whom who are veterans now wearing their second uniform in service to their country, have dedicated their lives to serving their fellow Americans. They support our military, provide health care to our nation's vets, enforce our laws, safeguard our communities, deliver benefits to America's most vulnerable citizens, keep our skies safe for air travel, protect human health and our environment. These public servants deserve respect and commendation. No federal employee should face death threats from anyone, least of all from someone seeking to lead the U.S. government. And he urged Governor DeSantis to retract his irresponsible statement. That has not happened. Amen. Yeah, no, I, I saw that quote, man. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, what else can you say about it? I mean, he, I 100% agree with, with Kelly. I mean, you know, we're out here trying to help veterans, um, you know, trying to uh, effectuate this legislation that's passed and, and doing, you know, what we can. And uh, no, we don't want to get our, our throats slit. And I don't think um, myself or the, the people that we represent uh, deserve that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I can't say it better than Kelly. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. And I have to ask you, though, when, when yeah. comments are made like that, and there are many. I mean, he's not alone. That, that was pretty brutal. That was off the charts. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of people. Number one, they don't like unions and they don't like government workers. Trump said if he gets back in office, he's going to get rid of uh, a bunch of, well, he's, he's, he hates the deep state. He wants to cut through that, the administrative state. He wants to get rid of civil service protections, all that kind of stuff. How does that affect, like, you in that area, you're in middle America, you're in Minnesota, mm-hmm. a pretty union-friendly state there. But how does that affect people that you work with at the VA? What are they saying about this stuff? Uh, like to infer that we're the deep state? Yeah, all that, everything included. Everything what I just said. I mean, um, yeah, I, you know, it's... I don't know. Yeah, we get cast in this negative light, but like I say, it's you know, it's, we're talking about doctors and nurses. Uh, we're talking about people that are just trying to help veterans day to day. It's yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times people they villainize federal workers, but when you really get into you know specifics of what people are doing, um, it, it sort of kind of yeah it puts it into perspective. Um, but no, it's yeah, it's very unwelcome. Um, I don't like hearing it. Um, yeah, like I say, who wants to hear that they're going to get their throat slit? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you just got to move on with your job, and you have to ignore them. The good thing is yeah. uh, DeSantis doesn't seem to be gaining in any of the polls. Trump, different story there. But I'm not going to get into the politics here. Let's let's get back to this contract. We're we're yeah. talking about a contract that took six years. That's got to make your membership feel pretty good. Um, as far as the hiring process, and I remember, and I don't know if this is still up to date, there was a time not long ago that they needed at least 50,000 employees across the country. And uh, the process of hiring at the VA, you got to jump through a lot of hoops. This contract, was there some specific wording in this contract to make that a little bit easier, to your knowledge? Right, yeah. So, uh like I said, the, the minimum posting, uh, it's going to be updated to just reflect that the announcements will be over for eight calendar days. Uh, so they won't, they won't need to be open quite as long. Um, we updated some of the procedures for how employees are ranked and selected. 
uh, for virtual and remote positions. Right? So we have a lot more of that um, post-COVID, you know, in the modern workforce. Um, we kind of provided some language that makes it clear that employees in you know, what we call career ladder positions are eligible for promotion. Uh, so that's just kind of when, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with career ladder, but not to get, not to talk too much, you know, get too deep into the weeds, but that's kind of when you're um, in a path that sort of kind of gives you an automatic promotion every year, assuming you're uh, successful in, 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 uh, in your job. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, we add some, we did add some requirements that it, uh, employees, uh, supervisors must provide a written reason for a non-promotion as as a result of lack of funds or work with the promise of a promotion reconsideration uh, once there are changes to a budget and a workaround. So I got airplanes flying overhead here that are throwing me off. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, also uh, we updated some, post, some uh, language on posting for job openings for details lasting 120 days or more um, and filling them with competitive procedures that's kind of the skinny of, of what we've updated. So like, like you mentioned is largely a, uh, a rollover. Uh, we protected a lot of the provisions that um, we, we really wanted to protect, you know, things like performance improvement plans, which um, allow us uh, to keep good employees and, and allow employees a, a chance uh, to improve their performance before they get terminated. Um, a lot of the provisions in our safety article um, changes to official time uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's a good win, uh, and and we're happy with it. And it was not easy. I, there's a comment here no. I read earlier in the show from uh, the national president of the VA Council. That would be Alma Lee. And she said, we always knew the work of a union representative would never be finished, but my, oh, my, these last six years have shown us all what it means to never give up and keep fighting. Colin, there yeah. there had to be a time in that six year period when you're saying, "Oh my God, when is this ever going to end?" <laughs> I mean, it had to be so frustrating, but you have to keep fighting, right? Isn't that isn't that what what unions do? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it, the things were seeming pretty fraught back in you know, like I say, the the the, the later part of the Trump years back. Uh, what was that? Late 2019, when we uh, when the FSIP um, imposed their decision with a lot of that Trump era anti-worker um, language in it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we we kind of we we stayed the course. Uh, we kept fighting. Um, got back to the table. You know, ratification failed. Um, so eventually, we got some relief uh, when we had a, a transition. You know, when the White House turned over and in uh 2021 so like you say just sometimes you got to just hang in there it was a grueling six years um well let me start i was just talking about the other night i didn't have any kids i now i got a family with two kids so (laughs) over the court you know over the course of this contract um yeah it, it was a it was a big part of all of our lives the last um the last six years but um but like you say, you just keep fighting, and uh, eventually we prevail. Yeah, yeah. We always say on the show, elections matter. It's been a pretty good uh, month, maybe six weeks here for your union because we talked earlier about the big raise that the airport screeners got mm, in, yeah. uh, in July. That was a 30% increase there. And that, there, there's a group of people that were treated like crap 
And there yeah. weren't a lot of unionized when Bush was in office. And when Obama came in, they changed that. And they were still, I mean, they were, after 20, 25 years, they were making under $40,000 a year. That was ridiculous for what they were doing. They're protecting, protecting airports. Come on. This is right. the kind of world we yeah. live in today. But uh, that's why we uh, support unions here on the show. AFGE.org. Check out that story about the, the six-year battle to uh, win a contract at the Veterans Administration. Colin Barrett, thank you so much for joining us. Colin is with the local 1969 Minneapolis-St. Paul area, a fighter indeed. You you take care. Stay in touch with us, okay, brother? All right, great. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the state of Connecticut and join Brian Anderson. Brian is legislative director of Council 4 of the American Federation of State county and municipal employees he's going to talk about a big pension win for city and state employees in connecticut back in a few minutes this is america's workforce it takes liuna to keep america running Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to the state of Connecticut right now. And joining us is Brian Anderson, and we're going to talk about pensions and what he was able to do in the state of Connecticut with public employees. Brian is a legislative director for Council 4 of AFSCME, that's the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Website for his council is council4.org. Brian Anderson, welcome to America's Workforce. Maybe you could, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty here, 
Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, Council 4, how many members. Uh, is this the entire state of Connecticut? I'm going to let you take it from there, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, Flesh. Uh, Council 4 has about 28,000 members statewide in Connecticut. About half of them are state employees, half are municipal employees. Uh, one in five is a law enforcement officer. We have about 2,000 municipal police officers and 5,000 corrections officers. But we cover everything from uh, librarians to courthouse employees to public works to public defenders. And so we, what... we kind of have it all soup to nuts. Got it. Got it. And, and one of the big issues when it comes to uh, public employees is, well, you know, you're not going to make the kind of pay that you get in the private sector. Let's be honest. But the benefits are better. And uh, it's my understanding that you in the state of Connecticut just passed a law that's going to help the municipal employee retirement system. Can you explain what happened? I I guess it was in trouble, and now it's going to be on a better course. Can you explain what happened here? Exactly, Flesh. What happened is the uh, big municipal pension fund, which covers not all municipal employees, but a lot, was down about a billion dollars. And we were able to negotiate a deal with a coalition of mayors, the state of Connecticut, which runs the plan, and and other unions. And basically, uh, what we were facing was major attacks from the mayors on the pension plan, trying to cut the benefit the retirees would get. They tried to pass a law at the state capitol outlawing pension uh, overtime in the pension calculation. That would be a major hit to a lot of our members, especially our law enforcement members who are mandated to put in 10, 20 hours a week extra. Uh, so so you always want a pension based on true income, right. not a lower wage fiction. And we were able to dodge that and, and come to an agreement that I would say is about nine tenths favorable. Like any agreement, we had to give up a little. Uh, we gave up a little bit on the cola in short term, and we got an increase long term in the cola. What it really did that counts is it stabilized the pension and ensures that it's going to be around and healthy for years to come. Well, I was reading that this uh, this plan is going to save seven hundred and fourteen million dollars in pension costs and you indicated uh, i guess cola is going to get cut a little bit but saving that money making workers happy <laughs> i don't know how you did that brother <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing could you be more specific you know, a, on, on what happened here yeah we we have a great young comptroller who just got elected sean scanlon who's from a union household uh, okay. was raised union and, and he basically told the mayors, we're not going to take the shortfall off of the hides of the retirees and the workers. You, you guys had to belly up, too. So Sean did a masterful job of getting us all in the room. Uh, and in fairly short order, we were able to come to a negotiation. So sometimes electing the right person has uh, a big benefit for working people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Was this uh, a difficult sell to the legislature in Connecticut? Uh, It's funny. All four caucuses 
Republicans and Democrats and the governors and Democrats signed on to this. So it, it breezed through the legislature. That's great. That's good to hear. Now, I have a question. I was reading that not all municipal employees in the state of Connecticut are covered by a pension. I don't get that. And that's a part I don't understand. Is Has that been fixed in this uh, in this legislation? Uh, sadly, it is not, Flash. We, we literally put a law, we put in a bill to mandate that all firefighters and police officers should get pensions. The bill was defeated, but we're going to try again next year. Uh, it, it's a terrible situation because, it, it, as you might know, firefighters and police officers die 59 years of age. Uh, they largely die from stress-related illnesses. So it's really vital to get these workers pensions, to give them a couple of good years at the back end of their career. And um, there, there are towns that have eliminated their pension. We even, crazily enough, the richest town in America is Greenwich, Connecticut. And Greenwich was able, in arbitration, to take pensions away from their firefighters. Oh, boy. So that that's decision prompted us to try to pass a law. And and our goal, in organized labor, every working American should have a pension, just like every working Frenchman, German, Irishman, Canadian has a pension. If those countries can do that flesh, certainly our country, which is much richer, can do it. Sure. So, in your opinion, what happened here with pensions? I mean, we, we, I, you know, as a longtime broadcaster and podcaster here on America's workforce, we've seen, well, a lot of factory jobs disappear. We've seen companies disappear, manufacturing plants disappear, and all these companies had very good pensions, usually defined benefit plans. Um, and then there was a switch over to 401ks. Is that the big part of it, in your opinion, Brian, because of the shift into the private sector and the defined benefit plans have kind of like disappeared in America today? It, exactly, Flesh. The 401k experiment has failed. Um, CNN Money recently reported that 60 percent of private sector workers had pensions in the 1980s. Now we're down to only 4% of private sector workers have pensions. That's unconscionable. The average person who will retire today on a 401k has in total $70,000 of savings. So what do you get? Two meager years out of that? that then you're in the poorhouse. Yeah. That, that doesn't have to be. So uh, it sounds like you, 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 you made a step in the right direction in the state of Connecticut, but more work needs to be done. So what what's the game plan here? You, you saved, again, you saved the state $740 million in pension costs, but there's work that needs to be done. Can you address what where do we go from here, Brian? Well, Flash, sometimes you have to take baby steps. Uh, we were able to get PTSD workers' comp coverage restored to every single worker in Connecticut. But we had to start with cops and fire. Uh, in 2019, we were able to get cops and fire worker comp PTSD uh, workers' comp restored. Within three years, that was expanded to cover every single worker in the state. We're trying the same for pensions. Uh, if you're a working American, you deserve a pension. And, and 
like, like you said, pensions went away because of corporate greed. There's a great book by a Wall Street Journal reporter, Ellen Schultz, called The Retirement Heist, where she details how corporate executives legally stole the pensions from their private sector workers. And uh, even the guy who invented the 401k came out and lamented that what I created with the 401k was a supplemental savings plan. It is not meant to replace pensions. Uh, So so we we're Americans, Flash. We can do this. We can get pensions back for every worker. And we all ought to put our shoulder to the wheel for that across the country. Brian, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because what comes to mind is Social Security. And uh, you're probably aware of uh, lawmakers that would like to cut Social Security benefits, saying that it's a Ponzi scheme, someone to privatize it. And when you think about this whole scenario, Social Security is for the private sector. And obviously what we're talking about in your case in, in Connecticut, we're dealing with public sector employees and they have a different kind of pension plan. Bottom line, they're both very similar. Workers put their money into those plans when they work at a respective police department, fire department, or in a case of a private sector employee, whether it's GM or Ford. And you expect when you retire to have that money because it's your money. And over the years, it's been highway robbery, to your point. Uh, So many corporate executives, companies disappear over the years, and they take that money with them. It's very, very sad. So... I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to work things out with your legislature on this. And I know there's more things to do. So thank you for calling attention to this. Um, and you can stay in touch with us here anytime here on America's Workforce. So Brian Anderson joining us on our live line, legislative director, council four of the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees, about 20,000 union brothers. Men and women, union strong in the state of Connecticut. So uh, thank you for joining us. Keep in touch. Okay, brother? Hey, thanks a lot, Flash. It was a pleasure. And thanks for all the great work in Ohio the brothers and sisters did for a great electoral win, protecting your Constitution. That, That lifts the spirits of every working person in America. It wasn't easy, but it was a great fight. Thank you so much, Brian. Keep in touch, okay? Take care, Flash. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce coming up tomorrow. Another win for the Communication Workers of America. Great organizing there. And the latest from the North Coast Labor Federation. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.